and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network. And now that we are finally removed from two weeks <laughs> worth of WrestleMania Week coverage here on the show, as well as a stellar interview with Leo London, um, we are back on track with our regular one episode a week schedule going forward here, <laughs> uh, which is a, a, a great thing, uh, not just for, for everyone that is having that wave of audio land on their uh, pl- podcast platforms um, daily there, uh, but also for me, because I only have to do one episode a week right now, which is uh, a vacation after the past two weeks. But um, that is not to say that today's episode is any less than those, because today's episode honestly is uh, outstanding in many ways, because we have the King of Chaos, Logan Black, on the show. Um, And, you know, I've had the chance to have a few conversations with Logan in recent months, um, most notably after he came out publicly as LGBTQ a couple of months back, spurred by a uh, a tweet from Ash Dabbath, uh that saw a number of people in pro wrestling um, either highlight their queer identity or come out. Uh, and Logan was among that group and was showered with uh, acceptance and praise by so many people, you know, whether they be part of the pro wrestling family that he has belonged to for nearly 15 years at this point, or if they were fans that have enjoyed watching him and wanted to support him, or just people close to him. Um, and you know, we spoke a little bit about that back whenever it initially happened, and now I am very happy to have him on the show to talk more about that experience specifically, but also just his experiences in pro wrestling as a whole. Um, not just as a wrestler, but also as a trainer now with T2T Academy uh, there in Brooklyn, New York. You know, training the the next crop of uh, young wrestlers, and not just in the in-ring stylings that they are going to be um, applying going forward in their careers, but also in terms of what the culture around pro wrestling should look like now. You know, we get into that a lot in this conversation, as well as Logan's own wrestling podcast, the Year One Wrestling Podcast, which uh, takes some of the uh, more notable names on the independent scene today um, and talks about their first year in pro wrestling, which always generates fun, interesting, um, and eye-opening stories, to say the least. So... Uh, it was all around a lot of fun, and, and I look forward to everybody listening to that on the other side of the break here. But before we get to the break, um, I do have to do a couple of quick shout-outs here. One, congratulations to past guest of the show, Erica Lee. Erica Lee won the Pro Wrestling Magic Championship over the weekend. Big congrats to you, and I know that your first challenger is going to be Dan Champion. Uh, that's going to be a thing, certainly. I, I absolutely love it. And also, a uh, big congratulations to Steph DeLander um, out in Australia for signing with WWE. Uh, she's going to be part of the NXT brand, and you know, I knowing her talent level, where it's at right now, I would not be surprised if we see her sooner rather than later on WWE programming. But, needless to say, regardless of whenever she shows up, 
Um, it's awesome to see more outstanding out talent in pro wrestling get opportunities on the largest stages worldwide like this. So congrats to Steph, congrats to Erica, and of course we cannot forget about MV Young's Polyam Cult Party 3. My god, what an experience that was there in Pittsburgh on Saturday afternoon into the evening. A rainy, wet, transformative experience for all of those that were in attendance and watched on Twitch. Um, we are going to be talking about that show uh, in proper next week on, on LGBT in the Ring. We're going to be talking all about that show with two members of Grit and Glitter's Glitterati team over there. M. Fear, past guest of the show, was here to talk about Polyam Cult Party 2 whenever it went down last fall. And joining for the first time will be Meg Fair as well, who was there live along with him, and is also the drummer of the band Big Baby, who performed during the, uh, I guess you call it a pre-show, the pre-show for the Polyam Cult Party 3 there. So definitely something to look forward to for next week as well. Um, and with that, let's talk to the King of Chaos, Logan Black. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the Ring, and I am very privileged to have as my guest this week someone else in the podcast game, as well as being a decade-plus veteran of the Ring, uh, the original American Nightmare, now the King of Chaos <laughs> in New York City and beyond, the host of the Year One Wrestling Podcast, Logan Black. Welcome to LGBT in the Ring. Oh, thank you so much for having me. As much as you say, it's a privilege for you. This is really, honestly, it's a privilege for me to be on here and be able to chat things up with you. It really, really matters a ton. No, and like, like I said, like, I think that I'm glad that the thanks is back and forth here because like, it's just, <laughs> I, it's just, I don't know. Like, I just really enjoy being able to like highlight so many different voices on this show. And yours is one in particular that, that I've been looking to, to talk to because, you know, when we first kind of chatted back whenever you you came out uh, a few a couple months ago at this point um for the story that i wrote for outsports like i told you like how like my first like in-person interaction with you kind of was it, it, it interaction might be stretching it at butch versus gore um after the show was over i was trying to like you know go to the merch tables and kind of meet up with everybody but then social anxiety kicked in and like i saw you and effie and mv young and i was about to like go up to say something and it just like for some reason my brain just went like yo you gotta get out of this building <laughs> <laughs> so i i felt bad about that and then and i was very happy to like see your reaction whenever i told you about that just being like so chill about it and like understanding so that person that's just a personal anecdote for me get just kicking off here like just interactions with you and and how awesome and and such a, a great presence you are within the pro wrestling scene oh man i just i i am a big proponent of uh you know just literally i, I end my podcast every week with be awesome to each other that's that's really all it comes down to for me i just kind of want everyone to be nice and chill with each other you know all we have are each other that's it you know so mm. we might as well be looking out for each other no it's very very true and you know speaking of being awesome to one another you've been doing that in pro wrestling for nearly 15 years at this point um it's, it's you've been uh killing it all across the like new york area all across the east coast and the northeast you know recently with limitless wrestling as well as a number of the sean henderson presents shows 
up there. Um, you know, especially the I really like the match that you had on the uh, the benefit show for Tara Calloway. Um, that that seemed like a lot of fun. <laughs> it was it was definitely uh if, if you're familiar at all with my style and the kind of matches I usually have that was definitely a a step in a different direction that was that was a hard left turn but uh honestly I love doing that kind of stuff I love being taken out of my my comfort zone and being forced to like think how would this person as a, you know character wise react to all of this ridiculousness I know how to react to a punch in the face I know how to react getting dumped on my head that I'm very good with. How am I going to react to whipped cream or, you know, nipple twists? Like, what are we going to do? Let's have some fun with it. So I I like doing that kind of stuff. It's the beauty of pro wrestling. Like on one hand, like you have like all the deathmatch stuff that that you've done and, 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 and brawling and stuff like that. And the other hand, you can easily get in there and take like what, seven or eight atomic drops in a row. Exactly. Oh, it's, it's awesome. Um, well, uh, one thing I like doing on this show is kind of going back to the very beginning for a lot of our guests here. And it fits very well with your own podcast, the Year One uh, Wrestling Podcast. That it does. So uh, talk to me a little bit about whenever you first encountered pro wrestling and how it kind of got its hooks into you. Uh, so, I mean, pro wrestling for me has been literally as far back as I can remember, I have, uh, my, my grandfather remarried three times. So I have seven uncles, uh, and all of them were pro wrestling fans. My mother was a pro wrestling fan. Uh, so pay-per-views, um, everything was all very much like that was part of my life growing up. Uh, my, the, the uncles that I was closest with, they were like the first wrestling marks that would go on in like the, the late eighties, early nineties. And by that, I mean, you know, wrestling fans in New York, they literally, they had the same seats at Monday night raw every single week. You could see them. I could point them out to your camera side every single week from 90 uh, on 93. Cause they literally lived like blocks away at that point. So they would go into that. They were reading the dirt sheets. Uh, they would make fun of me for being uh, at the time, a Hogan fan. They were all like, Oh, Ric Flair. That's the guy right there. And it, I didn't know what any of this was. But like they were such a huge influence on me and being a fan and, you know, uh, you know, hanging out and, and watching uh, literally any wrestling that was on because it was the coolest thing within my family. Of course, once you left the bubble of the house, it was not the coolest thing, but who cares? It was fun and I enjoyed it. So literally as far back as I can remember, uh, very, very young, I was a, just a humongous wrestling fan. As much as I could take in, I was just consuming every, every last bit of it. So at what point did you start, like, obviously you said, like, you, you're a Hogan fan. I think a lot of people that, that grew up in that era, like, gravitated to Hulk Hogan, like, especially as kids and the sort sure, of thing, yeah. due to the presentation there. Once you kind of, like, started maybe, like, branching out beyond that, who were some of the people that you gravitated to and kind of latched onto um, in the presentation that you were watching? So as I got older, I was latching onto a lot of different uh, characters. Because, I mean, you know... He, Hogan, Warrior, those types are all cool when you're a kid and you like seeing superheroes. But as you grow and you start to gain your own personality, it's like, well, who is, you know, who is similar to what I feel or who I am? Raven was the biggest thing for me. I was uh, fifth, sixth grade, whatever it was, but I had long hair. I was still tying uh, flannel shirts around my waist because, you know, I've never been a very fashionable person. Uh, so I was going about that and like that was like yeah this 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 is 
for me. Um, Savio Vega was also really cool because he was the first person that I saw uh, with like a Puerto Rican flag. And like, you know, I, I'm Puerto Rican. So like having seen that for the first time in wrestling, it's like, oh, okay. Like, you know, this guy could be coming over for dinner. Like it was, it was something that was very uh, connectable to me. Uh, otherwise, Raven and Savio and then anything ECW. Uh, mm. Again, my uncles were the wrestling marks. They would stay up till two in the morning to watch ECW and they tape it for me. Mind you, this is night. My first wrestling tape that I would bring over to friends' houses because it was taped for me was Francine pulling her skirt down to reveal the thong that said franchise when she turned on uh, Pitbull number two. Again, I'm playing this at people's houses in like 95 ish. Uh, when this happened or 97, whatever it was, but I'm a child. Uh, so like, I loved all of that. I loved Sabu uh, cause he was just the most ridiculous thing. I loved, loved Rob Van Dam. Uh, man, when I was really, when I was going to ECW shows uh, as a kid, uh, which mind you, I would go with my younger brother. My mother would take me and my younger brother, but like we're the only kids in there. Everybody there was, you know, drunk. And like guys, there was like, if there was like, uh, any energy that was like from, you know, some feminine energy or some youth energy, oh man, it was very, very, very little. Uh, but going there and seeing again, like uh, Tommy Dreamer and, and I can't stay at RVD enough. I thought he was the coolest thing on earth. No, I mean, I, that checks out. Like, I think a, a lot of people that, that grew up with ECW, like, that that was the like the counterculture. Like, I know that's a term that's kind of overused sometimes when describing ECW, but right. you know it very much was the attitude that it presented, and it gave something that was completely different from what you were seeing on WWF, WCW, and that sort of thing. And it especially makes sense like growing up in in New York, like yeah, because like that was like New York, Philly hotbeds for for ECW. Talk to me a little bit more about the experience of going to ECW shows as a kid, because well, like that's just, stories. Oh God, I'm sure you do. <laughs> so, so the first time we went, I believe we went to three different shows. The third one, I don't quite remember as well. It was late stage. Uh, and it was, it was a house show. The second one we went to was another house show. That was just a lot of fun. I remember my, my younger brother running up to new Jack to get an autograph and new Jack could not have been nicer to him about it. Uh, but you know, that's how it goes. But the first show that we went to was in the Elks Lodge in Queens, which is like the famous uh, building for ECW in that area, the madhouse of extreme. Uh, so we're there, we're up in, in the, the rafters. And the way, we, the way ECW used to run their shows is that they'd sell out the seats and they do standing room only tickets, which um, had to have been a fire code, but Paulie was definitely like paying off fire marshals. Cause like, I'm, I'm remembering back to it and if there was a fire, everyone's dead. I digress. So that first show, uh, we're sitting there and the guys in front of us were like standing up here and there and the people behind us weren't feeling it. So they're like jawing with each other, chirping at each other, the whole show. Finally, it's like the main event of the night and these guys are like, in each other's faces over us. There's like me, my mother, my younger brother, just like, as these people are like chirping at each other behind us and they're getting ready to start swinging. And my mother's like, all right, 
kill each other. Let me just get my kids out of the way. So she literally takes us as it's, if I'm not mistaken, it was crap. Cause I, 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 I'm going to just hate myself for getting it wrong, but I think it was RVD and Jerry Lynn in the main, or it might've been Jerry Lynn and just incredible. Mm. Um, Jerry Lynn was definitely part of it. So they're doing that and we're leaving, like walking out as these guys are like throwing stuff at each other at this point, as we're exiting, trying to find our way through all the standing room only people uh, and get out into the middle of Queens Boulevard. God. Wild stuff. I, I was so hooked though. You have no idea. Oh, I was sure. so hooked. And that like, honestly, like by that point, um, like I, I grew up born and raised in Brooklyn. Uh, I'd seen it all at that point. Like I think, Maybe a year prior, I, I saw somebody get stabbed on the train. Mm. Uh, so, like, what, what was any of this? It didn't matter. Uh, <laughs> and a funny note about that, I went when ECW returned under the WWE banner. Uh, I went to go see that show when it was at the Manhattan Center. And, of course, as a callback to my first time, the people in front of me and the people behind me uh, got into a fist fight. Uh, as the show was closing, over CM Punk. It was the weirdest most nerdy, awful thing ever. The people in fr- and behind us were like ECW faithful, like everyone who was ECW sucks. Fuck you, fuck you. And the people in front were like indie fans. And they're like, no, you're going to like this guy. He's good. They're like, fuck you. And they're like, but he's, fuck you. And then by the end, the dude throws whatever he had uh, in, in his cup right into the dude's other dude's face. And they like leapt on him as we were leaving. I'm there with my father, my brother, and my grandfather, who to this day is still kayfabe old tiny Puerto Rican man who still thinks it's all real. (laughs) Nothing is quite like talking about wrestling with like an old Latino who's like kayfabe on everything. (laughs) I'm sure. I'm sure it isn't like that. Just God, (laughs) like those, like the, it it makes total sense why that being in that environment though, would like hook you in that way. Like, obviously you're getting the cool factor from like Raven and RVD you're getting the, the representation factor, like seeing someone that, that represents yourself and Savio Vega on WWF television at the time. So you're getting like these sort of things that make you like feel like part of the presentation there. And then you're going live in the building and just let's, let's be real. Like whatever you're younger, like chaos is attractive, you know? Chaos is still attractive. I'm, I'm, I'm an <laughs> old jackass and chaos is still attractive to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, yes, some people, some people grow out of it, I think, but like, there's still a select few and, and I'm with you in that, like, yes, like it still, it still brings you in. Um, so I don't know. It makes total sense why, why you would be hooked by, you know, having to be rushed out of the Elks Lodge in Queens by your mom. <laughs> like that. <laughs> I got my Sabu t-shirt. I was good. <laughs> oh Lord. Well, at what point, then, you know you, you're ingesting everything and and you're you're finding these these uh like entry points into pro wrestling for yourself as a viewer what point do you realize that this is something that you wanted to do as a profession so i i had like journal entries from like school you know you the, the writing in the beginning of the day as far back as third grade saying that like i was going to be a professional wrestler it is all that i ever wanted to do uh, as a kid so I there was there was no other choice for me like I had to go uh, about it and do it and uh you know as I started to kind of put things together in my head I was well it's NYC so nobody really has backyards to wrestle in and like I wasn't a kid who hung out at parks so like I I didn't join to that but my friends and I we'd wrestle in like living rooms and air room and stuff 
So like, I was like, no, this is going to be my path. And I kind of set myself up where I was working every single summer from like 13 when I got like, you're legally can get your working papers uh, up until I was 19 uh, to be able to hop on in and, and be able to pay for wrestling school. Cause I knew that it was going to be uh, an investment. So I just saved up every summer, every summer, every summer, and then finally paid for it at 19. <laughs> what was it like to finally like step into training, like step into this, this avenue that's going to get you to where you wanted to be in, in the ring? So for anybody out there who uh, listens to my podcast, or if you don't, please go ahead and do so. I go into great detail about uh, what it was training under Johnny Rods. Mm. And uh, I think the first thing in terms of just like being able to recognize that dream uh, was just the fact that like this, he's a legend, Like there's no denying it. This, this guy is a legend. He has all these people up in his room. Like my first day there, he sat there for hours and just gave me like stories about, oh, the Samoans and, and uh, the Roddy Piper. Oh, and Hulk Hogan still owes me money. And he would, uh, all this, and he was very, it was, I had never been that close to somebody who like was, he was a hall, he's a hall of famer. I had never been that close to somebody. So it was the coolest thing, being able to see the ring, being able to see people working out in the ring. And then for the first time stepping in there, Man, I, 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 again, I, I say it all the time. It's like, you know, when you, you find your church, your, your calling, you're, you're like, oh, you know, the, 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 you hear these like Gregorian chants in your head. It's just like, well, this is it. Like, let's, let's make this happen. Uh, again, I, I can certainly go into detail about how, you know, terrible Johnny's training is and now he's a con man, but I do enough of that on my own. We're going to keep things positive, ain't we? <laughs> exactly. There's a, there are other places to, to hear that conversation. Exactly. Uh, like on the year one wrestling podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but like you, you like, obviously like there, there are issues that you had with, with training under Johnny Rods, but like you said, like he still has like a, a name. He's, he's a, a legend in that way. And I think like one thing I, I've pulled from listening to your podcast and just hearing you talk about training as a wrestler in general is that like the more people you're able to learn under the better. And oh yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, it makes sense that like maybe something you learned while under, under rods, like you down the line, you're training somewhere else and then you realize like, Oh, well maybe this, you know, wasn't the best thing for me or like you have a different like epiphany on like I could do this differently from what I learned here um what was it like for you once you kind of got out of the the Johnny Rods environment and started like getting into like whether it be like other training scenarios or just getting out into like you know working matches uh and kind of learning on on the job in that way so the thing with with Rods's site is that it's very old school and like you know anybody who's trained old school can tell you that a lot of these guys who, who don't keep up with modern wrestling, like granted, there are plenty of trainers who are, you know, made their name and their money in like the seventies or eighties, uh, but they keep up with things and they know that, you know, everything changes. Uh, Johnny was not like that. And they had a very different, like you had said, like, Oh, your, your thoughts on things that, you know, the more training different places are better there. They were very much, you learn here and that's it. And then you go to Vince and that's it. Oh, wow. But that's, that, that's not how it happens. Yeah. That's how it happened back in the day when like, you know, they come through to New York and they, Hey, Johnny, we need some guys for TV. And they do this. And like, you know, Johnny would nudge somebody and like, Oh, boom, Damien Demento gets a job or, 
you know, Paulie's coming through and he sends him Dreamer and the Dudleys. Uh, it's not how that happens as things go on, especially at that point. Uh, when I was breaking in, it was a very different culture to wrestling where nobody paid attention to the indies at all up mm. there. Like if you were an indie guy, that was a slight on you. Uh, they didn't give a damn. They yeah. wanted six, one, six, two, over 220 pounds. If you weren't that, they did not care. That certainly was not me. I tried gaining the weight. I got up to 220, but I didn't, I didn't look good at 220 because I'm, I'm not very tall. So uh, I was just able to kind of, I just wanted to be big and work out with that. But you see, as it goes along, what is working? How are all these other people getting the attention? How are the places that I want to be part of, such as Jersey All Pro at the time, I love Jersey All Pro, or Ring of Honor, or like any of these other independents that I was really, really into, what is everybody else there doing? They're working all over the place. They're working different people. They're training elsewhere. Why am I not doing this? So after a while, it just became evident that like that way was not working. And then you see like a lot of the people there, like they just, they worked one show a month and it was Johnny's student show and they're working the same people. It's like, how are you going to learn? And I didn't know this at the time, but it's like, how are you going to learn unless you're being taken out of your comfort zone and growing in that way? It's, you know, the same way that you build muscle. You tear the muscle, you work really hard, you tear it up and it repairs bigger. If you're just always doing the same thing with a five pound weight, you're not gonna, you're not gonna grow. So for me, uh, going back to your, your original question, getting out there and learning was super important to being able to reach the goals that I had, which was literally just to get out there, work as many shows as possible. I never, I've never wanted to be a TV wrestler. I've never, I never wanted to, I never cared to be one. I was a big fan of Lucha Libre. I was a big fan of uh, Japanese wrestling. All I wanted to do was travel on somebody else's dime. Uh, and I've, I've still, it's still a process, but I, I've done quite a bit of that. And that's, I think it was important for me to learn under other people, listen to other people, get different opinions, different voices in my head, rather than just the one that was, you know, oh, Vince McMahon, he's going to come through. He's going to take you guys. It wasn't happening. Uh, it's, it's so interesting to hear like the attitudes towards the independent scene there, because like around that, that time period, you, you have a very like vibrant independent scene in the oh, yeah. New York, New Jersey area. Like you said, like Jersey all pro was in at its height in many yeah. ways that ring of honor was definitely on. The ring of honor was just starting to bring in like Kenta and Marafuji and uh, Morishima. I loved Morishima. God, this yes. big, like, chubby doo-doo could murder people oh my god i love morishima <laughs> but like that's the thing is that you would see i would see that and i would be so stoked to see that or i'd go to jersey all pro and like homicide who was like you know not too much you know like he was similar in height to me and uh was just different than anything else that i saw and all these guys at rods of school would completely shit on all of this ring of honor bullshit all those high spots who cares about that do they know how to get out of a wrist lock they could do uh, you know nip ups could and it's like you would listen to these people shit on jersey all pro shit on uh a ring of honor shit on like what they would call flip i still call them flippy guys they are flippy guys uh but like high flying wrestling or high spot based wrestling and you just go like you're not making any money in wrestling either, man. <laughs> you're on that same level, if not lower. Why are you, uh, why do you have anything negative to say? Why can't we just look at that and be like, that's that. 
I'm doing me. There's room for everybody in wrestling, but it was, it was a very toxic environment. I think a lot of the toxicity that a lot of you know people in wrestling talk about, that was like, I don't want to say the dying days, but it's still very much prevalent, but it was starting to find its decline of just like the boys club of, you know, like a, what was it? A six pack and a blowjob to end the night. Mm. And like that was starting to die out. And you're starting to now see people come through, find their way in, be like, hey, I'm going to change this up a little bit because I don't think this is cool. And if you don't like it, you don't got to be a part of it. And for the most part, everyone's kind of on board. No, like that change has been something that's I've really enjoyed watching over the past like 15, 20 years. And just like the attitudes to like what pro wrestling can be, what constitutes good, you know, and then just like seeing like, not necessarily that like one certain style is good, but that, like all styles are good in their own way. Right. You know, and, and you can like kind of meld them into different things and just, just being, having that openness is, is yeah. something that I really appreciate in the current culture right now around pro wrestling. Um, so going back to, to your career, like you, you kind of exit training at Raj, you started getting out onto shows. At what point do you feel like you, um, I guess for lack, of, I don't want to say like validation in a way, because like that, that might not be the right like connotation to put on it. But at what point do you like start getting booked on shows and start realizing like, I'm, I'm actually like fucking doing this. Oh man. Or have you ever had that moment? <laughs> I, I, I feel like th- there should, shouldn't be a point where anybody ever feels like, okay, I've, I mean, you should feel confident in yourself, but I feel like if you feel like, you know it all or like you've got to figure it out it's time to get out time to quit because you you figured it all out why do you got to stick around um one of the things that i love the most about professional wrestling is that you're always learning and you're always growing uh will ferrara from ring of honor is a very good friend of mine we broke in together and he told me a number of years ago he told me something uh, about his first ring of honor tryout where he goes like i had all this stuff from like johnny and the independence and all these other places and then i went to the ring of honor tryout and like they completely flipped everything on its head. And he goes, and every couple of years since that, I've had pro wrestling completely turned on its head for me. And hmm. that I think is very healthy, is that every couple of years, there has to be something that completely changes your outlook on wrestling. And I've had that happen to me a number of times. And I think that that's a really good thing because it keeps you on your toes, it keeps you learning. Like again, I started out, it was very toxic. It was a body guy business. Um, I was, you know, they weren't going to invest time in me because I was not, uh, you know, six foot plus and, you know, on, you know, lots of uh, supplements, so to speak. So they weren't going to invest their time in me. A couple of years later, they're starting to pull guys from the independence, but still who cares? A couple of years later, it's different. Now there's a push for intergender wrestling. Like everything is just turned on its head and you would never think of any of these things. 10, 15, 20 years ago, but here we are. And I think that's healthy that this athletic art form keeps just changing and evolving. And it, it's no different. Again, if you look at what it was in the 40s and 50s, compare that to the 60s and 70s, compare that to the 80s, wrestling is always changing. And you know, anyone who tells you different is is out of their flipping mind. No, it's very, it's very, very true. I think like constantly having that turnover keeps things fresh, keeps things healthy and moving forward. And, you know, complacency is, is, is a terrible place to be. 
in a lot of ways. So I definitely agree with you on that. And also in in the similar light, like you brought up earlier when talking about like, you know, backyard stuff, even though you don't really have backyards in Brooklyn. Yeah. <laughs> like I've really enjoyed watching the shift in attitudes toward backyard wrestling too. Because oh, like, yeah. Because like, you know, back in the early mid two thousands, like that was a curse word in, in pro wrestling. And now my like, first day in my first day <laughs> into Brides' office. Jorge Santi, who he's, we worked a couple shots with Ring of Honor here and there. Uh, way too talented to have never been signed, but it's the curse of Johnny Roz, and he knows that too. Now we talked about it. Uh, he literally walked in the office and oh, this is uh, this is this one. You, you going to join up? And literally looks you right in the eyes, goes to your backyard, and I go, uh, I used to, I don't anymore. He goes, good. We don't deal with backyarders over here. And that was it. Like if you backyarded, you were. You were worse than scum. Jesus. Now, now it's like we embrace it because we realize that like it's odd that the trends uh, kind of had switched over. I have a theory. I've gone into it on on my show once or twice, but I think it's very uh, it, it's it's applicable to to this particular podcast in that uh, it's very very much it very much falls into it with the LGBTQ community. Uh, but all these other like wrestling style subcultures. So wrestling was the boys club. It was all these like monstrous, huge dudes. Uh, and then like fabulous moolah pimping out women. Uh, so it was like just ripe for the abuse and, and just awful, toxic. And all these other people, you know, queer people and women who wanted to be taken seriously and undersized wrestlers all came in and they were like, hey, we want to be part of this. We're passionate. We love it. And they were like, Fuck off. We don't need you. And then we all went in our own little bubbles and all right, fuck you. We're going to do our own thing. And we did. And that set the fucking trend. Shimmer set the trend for women's wrestling. The Independence, Ring of Honor, uh, Michinoku Pro, all these spikes, spots of smaller high flyers set all that with PWG. My God, NXT is PWG. Yeah. And then again, the queer wrestling community, which is having such a just like a blowing up right now with like so many incredible, unique, vibrant stars all coming out and being like, this is ours. We are making this our own and we're drawing people. And now that is like, oh shit, we should have jumped on when we had the chance. <laughs> but that's but that's the same thing with like punk rock and hardcore uh, or like, you know, any any subculture of art is going to do that. So like that, that's my theory behind it. Again, I think it's kind of... Uh, falls into the conversation we're having and also just the conversation at large of this podcast. No, it definitely does. You know, cause like, that's really, you know, doing this show, speaking to so many out people in pro wrestling, that is definitely the attitude that has been taken on is very much a fuck you. We're going to make our own thing and you're going to come to us for it, you know? And, and, Look, we just had the big gay brunch run on, on Mania Weekend. We've had um, we had Butch versus Gore run multiple events, including having matches on Mania Weekend. Speaking back to backyard stuff, MV Young just ran a show in a backyard <laughs> in Pittsburgh <laughs> just this past weekend. So right. like like you're seeing like these people create spaces and people want to be on these cards, you know. And it's starting to ring true in even the larger promotions now. You know, WWE has more out talent than they've ever had in their history. AEW, you know, has been much more vocal about their out talent, but they're and they're still there. You know, Impact, Ring of Honor, every major company now has an out wrestler on their roster. 
And that's something that just, just saying that now, like is something that I never would have thought would happen. Like whenever I first started watching wrestling like 25 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And that's, uh, again, think back to 10 years ago, 15 years, 20 years ago. Would Big Gabe Brunch have been a thing at that point? Never. No. Could never have been a thing. Uh, would, would you know, Jake Atlas being, you know, the, the star on the rise that he is, could that have existed 15, 20 years ago? I don't think so. Without him being like this flamboyant, like, you know, caricature of a character. I mean, again, going back to like what Rico, you know, was when Rico was a straight guy playing like every awful gay stereotype. Where were the spaces for us at that point? There weren't very many, but we created our own and, and now it's profitable. So now everybody wants to be part of it. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> for sure. And, you know, one company that I, I left out of that listing there and not for any particular reason other than because they're one that you've worked with a, a, at least recently, somewhat recently, Uncanny Attractions. Yes. Um, so that I really enjoyed the uh, the cinematic show that y'all put together. I thought that like your segment with um, milk chocolate was just like, I don't know, it had a it it had a, a weight to it in a way that that I think came through really really well. Talk to me a little bit about I well I want to go back to a, like a little bit back in in your wrestling career too, but I want to sure. I want to talk to you a little bit about about that show. What was it like for you to kind of approach? an all cinematics sort of uh, presentation? I mean, it was definitely a different experience for me. I've never done anything like that. Uh, I'm never, I've never been handed a script. I've never like any of those things. It was, excuse me, it was, it was such a different experience, but everybody behind the scenes on that was just, so, I mean, they were, they were so great. Every last person that had put their, their hands into that was wonderful. And it was, it was interesting where you, you said it was it was heavy and like watching the rest of the show, uh, you know, all the other cinematic matches, uh, it definitely stood out as being like the one thing that was really serious. Uh, and I remember talking to uh, to Darnell Mitchell, who had you know kind of put things together, and I was like, uh, "Well, you know, you think this is going to work?" And Darnell was like, "Yeah, we're gonna do something completely like this is going to be totally different from everything else." And then when I got to see the final product, I was like, oh yeah, this really is something completely just like granted, you know, having Nick Stapp talk to and date his phone is out of left field. But like in the context of that, that fit right in us trying to be like real angry and, and like throw like real violent stuff in there was very different. I mean, you killed a guy. <laughs> you did. <laughs> Like, very on brand yes <laughs> it was just it's, i just love the the presentation of it because like it did vary so much from the other um like segments i guess on the on the show but it still fit in a way because of right. like, everything just just worked really well all right, Yens, thank you so much for tuning into LGBT in the Ring. Uh, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride Black designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at quasar.digital. 
A big thank you to Sarah and the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free. Check out that service. Uh, you can follow the show on Twitter at LGBTRingPod. You can follow me on Twitter at WonderboyOTM. And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. So let's go back a little bit further back from from the Uncanny Cinematic Show. Um, obviously, like you've been doing this sure. for for over a decade at this point. You've had uh, you know you've had stops in like Warriors of Wrestling, um, so many different places in in the the Northeast. Um, what was your experience uh, like in in those areas? And at what point, or if it, at any point, whenever you were working there, did you kind of have the the uh, realization for your, like of your identity and and how did that impact you in pro wrestling back then? Whenever you you were um, closeted. So going back to just being you know in, in the closet on things, I think for me, I I, I didn't necessarily identify as as much of anything for quite some time like I still even even at my age now I still feel like I'm like completely immature on all things and like you know why would you trust me with anything so let alone being able to figure myself out at like you know 19 20 years old when I'm breaking in but like at that point is when I think I really started to to step out of the you know what would be just like firmly heterosexual uh, mm -hmm. on my own but because I think it's just like me being who I am, I'm very, I'm like, I, I guess in terms of like physical representation, I'm, I'm very masculine. Um, and uh, I, 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 at that point, it only ever like brought, you know, women around anywhere. So nobody had thought of anything, but at that point it was just, you know, I was kind of just doing my own thing and never really knew how to define myself. And it never necessarily played a, a part in terms of character except for the fact that I think that, you know, growing up in like punk and hardcore is its own subculture of like outsiders and all that stuff. And I never kind of felt like I fit in anywhere. Uh, just it's growing up and everything. And I think that that always, always hit me when I started like figuring out who I was, mm. you know, and kind of being like, yeah, I don't fit. And that's okay. Like I don't fit into like this normal mold of like, what I should be or, or what people expect me to be. And that's cool. 
and then as things progress, I, I had mentioned uh, in, in a tweet, uh, I think when, when I had first come out and someone had, had retweeted it or something, I had mentioned that I had put a, a limp wrist patch on my on my ring jacket. And that was kind of like my nod of like, hey, I'm going to hint at something here and hopefully somebody picks up on it. Because I, I don't think that I was really ready to, you know, speak and be open about that kind of stuff. Because again, there's just, we're still living in like this weird society and especially within our wrestling bubble, there is still, you know, so many out homophobes and so many closeted homophobes uh, that will make it happen. And, you know, I, I had definitely seen it firsthand, like, you know, you know, 10 plus years in wrestling and you see when people, you know, get called like the F slur out of nowhere. And it's not even, it's not meant to be like that person is a homosexual uh, that is what they are. It's just a word that gets thrown around because like, that's how people insult each other. And it's, well, why is that an insult? Why is, why is that the, the case it is? Or, you know, you know, uh, just little things like that. And you kind of put two and two together and it's like, maybe this environment isn't really conductive for, for somebody to kind of be open and out about who they are. Even though like, I, I don't think personally, I, I, I recognize that this is like a very straight passing privilege. I, I don't uh, I, I don't think that anybody would have you know taken any issue with me doing that. I don't think I surround myself with those type of people. But still, that's that's part of privilege. It's it's definitely different for people who are you know uh, present themselves differently or, or have that part as part of their character. That's another thing is that my my sexuality has never ever been part of my character. Whereas like someone like um, a good friend of mine, a Sunny Kiss. Uh, Sonny could never be anything but Sonny. So everyone surrounding Sonny, it's, they, they are kind of giving their own input and their own feelings and their own thoughts on things. When like Sonny's personality and sexuality very much part of that, uh, that gimmick. If you can call it a gimmick. I don't even think you can call it a gimmick. You're getting authentic Sonny every week. Exactly. That's, that's just Sonny. <laughs> right. So again, going, going back to just the, the base of your question in terms of like how <clears throat> my sexuality, um, you know, if that was any influence on character, I just think the fact that I was closeted for so long and kind of had that like loner mentality up from like, you know, just angry youth days. Uh, I think that a lot of that built up to kind of bring out just somebody who could be a real, real asshole in the ring and, and just really just be angry while it's, you know, not necessarily tied to that. I think a lot of those things of me just kind of not being able to figure out who I was uh, for so long kind of did manifest itself that way. No, I mean, I think that, you know, definitely like internalizing a lot of those feelings and finding avenues to express them is a very valuable thing you know whether you're comfortable where you're at or, or whether you are like trying to decide whether you want to like outwardly express those facets of your identity in that way so like it, it totally it makes so much sense whenever you look at like you say like taking those um those feelings and kind of using that to inform um, some of the, the the attitude of Logan Black in the ring in a way, just like this no nonsense, like just smack your face off mentality that, that you take in there. Um, was any of that ever like cathartic in a way for you, like to to have that sort of motivate or fuel rather um, that increased um, attitude in the ring? 
you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I think that it, it kind of didn't. I think for me, uh, going back to like what I broke in with, because again, I didn't know any better. So when I break into this toxic environment where like everybody is ultra masculine and like, you know, women are objects and, you know, there is, you know, it's straight men in this room and that is it. And, you know, we don't deal with anything else. It brings out a lot of the internalized homophobia that a lot of people have. And I, I certainly was, was no stranger to that. Uh, in a lot of those situations and kind of separate myself. But again, also trying to figure out like, well, what is this? I'm, I'm dating or, you know, hanging out with these people that are, well, where do they fall in the gender spectrum? Well, you know, you know, they're, they're, they fall in the more femme way. So like, I can't be, I can't be, you know, and I'm not gay. Come on. Like, what is this? Nah, I just, I like this. And then you start to make peace with that as you, as you get older, mature. And it's like, this is, this is it. And there's nothing wrong with it. And, you know, all the nonsense that I learned that I have to unlearn because we have to grow as people or else, you know, we end up like dinosaurs. Exactly. Exactly. No. And, and you bring up like the privilege of straight passing in a way, like that's something that's been discussed multiple times on this show, but it's something that rings very, very true. You know, I like I myself, like I pass for straight plenty of times, uh, you know, so it's like, it, it adds a different layer onto those things and kind of it, it allows you to be exposed to those environments, like you said, like that internalized homophobia that is, um, you know, something that can definitely impact someone who is like really like tangling with those with those um, thoughts and those like that process of realizing exactly how you identify and, and who you are in that way. It can definitely curtail some of that. Yeah, I think, you know, coming back and like thinking of it and having this big reflection, I think that certainly has played into like, you know, the anger, but like le less of the in, because I, I guess the in-ring stuff certainly stems from reality or else it wouldn't be authentic and people wouldn't give a damn about me. But I, I think that's a lot of that does come in and, you know, kind of, again, feeling, you know, like I, I don't have a place or having, you know, not figured myself out or, you know, still trying to figure everything out in every way. I think a lot of that kind of... uh you know, finds its own, its own way and manifests itself. And then it finds its way into the gimmick. So like a lot of that, that anger, that aggression, uh, finds its way there. And then I also think that like all of my, uh, just general, like supreme aggression at like, you know, racism or homophobia or, or you know, transphobia and like sticking up for my friends and being like a straight passing ally for the longest time. I think, uh, Ariel and Nick said, uh, after uh, we had tagged at Butch versus Gore, like we had chatted about stuff and she mentioned something about me being like this ultra aggressive ally, which like, like granted her heart was in the right, I love Ariella to death. Her heart was in the right place. But like, again, you want to talk about not feeling like you, you, you fit somewhere. It's like, mm. I, I do I say something? Am I open about it? Do I not? Or do I just take the compliment and smile? Does smile? Am I smiling through tears? What am I doing here? All of that plays a role, I think, in just my, you know, eyes open, you know, right in your face. No, it definitely does. And, and I think that that speaks to something that that we spoke about whenever you did initially come out for the, and put the article together. Um, it's something that stuck with me too, because it's something that I have felt a lot as well, that idea of not being queer enough. Yeah. That's like, I think the, 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 like, 
if, if we want to do the, the Logan Black story, it's, you know, <laughs> Logan Black, not queer enough. Like that, that literally has been when, when I came out to my partner, I, I've said that a billion times uh, when I've talked to other friends and talked to other like, you know, queer people in wrestling. It's just like, I, I never quite feel like I'm, it's, it's why it took me so long to, to come out publicly. Like cl my closest friends, my tag partner knew, knew ages ago, but like, I didn't feel like I was queer enough and I never felt like I fit there. And it's my own insecurity. Like it shouldn't matter. I'm, I'm you know, like we said earlier, we, we don't fit, make your own place. Uh, so yeah, like it, that was definitely. And also to hear like, you know, you saying that and like the amount of people that reached out to me after I came out to literally say like, yeah, this is how I felt. I didn't know how to express it. You put the right words together thank you, let me process this and figure out where I stand. Uh, and then some of those people actually coming out, like that was, I was like, what, like, what was going on here? <laughs> it, it felt really great to be able to help others out in that regard and have other people kind of see their thoughts in with my words. Um, but it was also just like being able to finally accept myself, you know, both outwardly and inwardly. No, for sure. And, and I think that, like like you said, like how, with how many people reached out to you to speaking to like similar experiences around that, like that is something that plagues a lot of people in in the queer community, you know, and especially like for me, I think it's it was tied more to like, you know, identifying as bi for the longest time before like really like somewhere nebulous between bi and pan now, like because like it's you just don't feel like you belong in, in a lot of these spaces like just to feel like these spaces are not built for you in in a way um what was what was there anything specific for for you that kind of gave you that feeling uh the feeling of not being queer enough yeah not being queer enough i think the fact that and everyone always just saw me in like uh, heteronormative relationships which granted like my, my, my partner's queer as well like we we're not really, we're, we're heteronormative to people kind of looking in from the outside. Uh, but again, like that I think is, is part of, part of what it came down to for me, but then just like also the fact that like, I just genuinely, I think it's also just like the wrestling toxicity that again, we're all, I'm in the process of still, you know, uh, you know, unlearning it because it really is legit, but that understanding of like, what makes uh, a gay wrestler? Is it, you know, uh, you know, what what is that? Is it Pat Patterson who, you know, you know, people didn't necessarily know about or they did know they didn't, or is it a straight guy playing to every gay stereotype? And considering that like, I had none of that going on, like what is, what is my role in that regard? Uh, which is ridiculous. Like I could sit back and look at it and be like, that's an absolutely ridiculous thing to say. But, you know, some, sometimes we don't exactly think uh, in a non-ridiculous manner. <laughs> no, that is that is definitely for sure. <laughs> um, but I do, I want to go back to, to Butch versus Score for a minute because like obviously like the exchange with Ariella there like caused some emotions for you in a way. But, and, and obviously you had not come out publicly at that point, even though you did, you know, identify for yourself in that way. What was it like for you to be on that card in, in that environment to see like what I, what I view as like one of the first like 
like it was live on IWTV. Like it's one of the first yeah. like huge like purely LGBTQ events like that. That was so I uh, worked for uh, Prime Time, uh, the show prior. Uh, I, I I was <laughs> I was actually supposed to wrestle on the show. I came with Tara Calloway, who's you know my my sister from another Mister, uh, and they couldn't get my paperwork for the licensing done in time. Mm. So I had to manage on that. But seeing how cool that environment, and I don't think at, at that point, I think that they were just really starting to find their identity in terms of like, this is what our brand is. You can sense like, okay, there's definitely a vibe in here and something's going on. And then they announced Butch versus Gore and what that is. And I'm just like, man, that's so cool. That locker room is so cool they're never going to book me because I'm, you know, a closeted person who uh, doesn't really, I mean, that's also just not what it was for me. Like I was closeted at the time. And then I think somebody had canceled and they hit me up and I, I could not have been more stoked about getting on that show. And I, I mentioned it to, to Ariella after like, well afterwards, um, long time afterwards about how like that for me, was the point where I was like, I belong. What am I sitting there? And again, it still took me forever to come out, but like, what am I doing? Why am I not speaking up and and being myself and being, uh, you know, just just celebrating who I am and, and like being comfortable in my own skin. Again, seeing so many, so much representation there, seeing the community come out and like, just, it, it was a party seeing again, and I, I'm in the ring as this happens, Jordan blade walking out with that flag. And it's like, it's, it's powerful for me in the ring to see that and just be like, Oh fuck. Like this is, this is a fucking moment. Everything like that. It was just, it was a big moment for me to be able to find like my voice and my identity. Uh, I can't thank everyone involved enough. I can't thank low enough uh, for their, you know, putting that show together and kind of giving that that community an identity uh, to really just say we're here and we're putting on some kick-ass wrestling. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh, one more question for you on on like your coming out experience. Like what sure. what um what ultimately did lead you to decide to come out whenever you did a couple months back? So I think I, I felt for the longest time like it's time. Like I. I think by that point I had, I had come out, obviously I came out, to my, came out to my partner a while back, but like a lot of my close wrestling friends. And I also like, I've got a bad poker face. So like everybody uh, around me, like I, I wasn't very shy about it, uh, about just kind of, you know, talking about any of those things. And, you know, people were like, Oh, like, are we? Yeah. But I wasn't like public about it in terms of being like, this is me. This is who I am in terms of just like, you know, the wider audience of things. Uh, and I think my biggest fear, and I, I brought this up to so many people, I brought it up to MV as well, where it's just like, I don't want to do this and have it be like, I'm looking for attention. And that was, I think, my biggest fear of just like saying something and being like, oh, Logan's looking to get attention. Like, you know, look at this. And no, it's not like that, but you know, I've got my own insecurities. I'm in wrestling. Of course I have insecurities. We're all broken people. Anyone who tells you differently is lying. <laughs> so what else did I have to, uh, to lose at that point? I was like, I just, if people think that, let them think it. 
I'm just going to go through with it. And then literally like a day after I was like, yes, I need to do this. I'll find my opportunity. Uh, I, I forgot who put out the tweet because I've been concussed so many times. We're just like, who is an outperformer in wrestling? And I was just like, hey, so people close to me know, but no, now everybody does. Hey, how's it going? <laughs> and boom, like it got, it got a bit overwhelming in like the best, most positive way. I think that I was even, I was speaking to my, to my father today about it. Um, and he, cause I had mentioned I had this interview and he's, you know, always super supportive and he's he was just like, uh, you know, have, have you received any negativity about it? I'm like, no, because I don't surround myself with those kind of people. And I don't think that anybody uh, who is negative is going to go out of their way to find me. Uh, and if they are, they're going to get eaten alive because, <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm certainly not the most over wrestler out there, but I'm, I'm over enough that like, there'll be quite a few people on the, uh, the Twitter machine that'll, you know, go at homophobes. No, that, that is definitely for sure. Like we protect our own. Damn it. <laughs> <laughs> we need to, we definitely yeah. need to. And I, I can appreciate that. And, and it's, it's been nothing but positive energy and, and love from everyone uh, you know, both in and out of wrestling, but specifically uh, within wrestling where people had just, you know, come out to me. And, and I think, again, like all the love mattered so much to me, but I think the thing that mattered the most to me was just having those, like, it started in two and three. And then I think to like four or five who would just hit me up in DMs and was like, Hey, you know, I, this is really cool. Uh, I haven't quite found my voice on this yet, but when I do, uh, I do. And thank you for giving like a lot of my thoughts, some, some words. Uh, and a couple of those people ended up uh, coming out publicly uh, in, in the, the weeks and months to follow. Uh, and some haven't, but it, it's, everything is on their own time. I think that's also one of the things uh, in talking to like other people about it. It's like, it's not for anyone else. It's on your own time. And again, if anything, if anything, and this is the same as it goes. So let me go back to Savio Vega. We go full circle always. Uh, finding that representation. And if there's one like ultra mask tattooed, angry young wrestler who, you know, just is angry and aggressive. And part of that is because, you know, he hasn't found himself. They haven't found themselves yet. If my coming out and being like, Hey, I am part of this, this face, this build, this, you know, attitude is part of this as well and that's okay and it's accepted and loved and celebrated you could be part of that too if i could do that then then fuck it like i don't I, that's all i need to do in wrestling no i mean that that's it's a wonderful message to send out it's a wonderful goal to to maintain and you know you like so many other people like in the lgbtq community that are in pro wrestling now it's so diverse in the presentations that you see now that like anybody that is feeling like they might not see themselves in in this arena um has someone that they can gravitate to in that way which is absolutely a, it's amazing to see and you speak about going full circle well you're you've gone full circle now you know obviously like you started out with uh, some dicey training with johnny rods now you are training <laughs> yourself other am, yes. the the future stars of pro wrestling there in brooklyn what made you want to like kind of become a wrestling trainer there and and what have you pulled from your own experiences that that make you um feel i guess 
not confident because like obviously like you're confident about your abilities but like what what have you pulled from your own experiences that you that you want to pass on to the people that you're training now so i think from all my experiences i've there's wrestling is very toxic there's a lot of negativity i try and kind of be separate from a lot of the negativity even though i get drawn in more than i'd like to but the goal of the, the t2t wrestling academy was to be a positive learning environment that is a safe space that welcomes everybody uh, from all walks of life, all expressions, uh, all colors, sizes, everything to kind of come together and, you know, attempt to live their, their dream. I'm not going to say that, like, I don't take it easy on anyone. If you could, you ask any of my students, they, they, they've labeled me the angry one, uh, <laughs> but I, I get, I want to get the most out of everybody because I'd be doing anyone a disservice if I did not, ask the most, most of them. Uh, but at the end of the day, you are not going to be pushed around or bullied or any of that. And you certainly aren't going to catch that because of who you are and who you identify as. That was a major goal of mine when putting this together and setting a culture that, you know, that, that helps to create a learning environment because so many wrestling schools are just, and a lot of places I had been before and I tried to like keep a positive attitude to, that shit doesn't work when you have others there and people who have, you know, more seniority or people who are in charge there who just thrive on negativity and, and you know, don't necessarily care about diversity, don't necessarily care about everybody being uh, in a mood to learn. They make it a miserable place and you're giving somebody money to be miserable. I never understood that. So that was the entire goal of this place. For me, I've always enjoyed teaching. Uh, it's something that it's, it's another form of income for me, uh, you know, so to speak. <laughs> so I have always enjoyed that. And I think my confidence comes down to not necessarily that I think that, you know, I can assert myself over anybody else because we're, we're all students. We should all be learning. But I also recognize that, like, you know, I might not be smart, but I've listened to a lot of people who are smart. And I've memorized what they've said. And that's basically <laughs> what I'm putting out there. And uh, again, like you, you can see the work that I have done when, when it comes to training people, not necessarily with this new crop because they're still you know, very, very young in the game, but like over the years and like people like Chris Benet or, or uh, Jay George, who if you know anyone here has not checked out Jay George, he is a brilliant, brilliant artist that I guarantee people may not appreciate now, but they will appreciate Jay George in 10 years, guaranteed, just like every great artist. Um, people like that who like are really showing that they are, they, they've trained under me. So like, you know, it, it's, it's, the output is there. Yeah, no, it, it definitely is, you know, and, and I think that it's vital for not just pro wrestling events to take on these inclusive attitudes, but for pro wrestling training schools to do that as well and you know i think that what you have put forth with your students there i think is something that definitely um is needs to be ad adopted in in multiple other places just the idea of inclusion alone which i know like uh, some schools are better about obviously but like there's like you said there's still many many pockets within this this industry that right holds those attitudes still i think that there's a lot of schools out there that certainly uh have good attitudes about things and they're excellent spots to train at and you know they don't stand for 
any of the nonsense of like, you know, the racism, the homophobia that was so prevalent when I, when I started out. But I also think the fact that like we make that our mission statement of like we, and anytime we get new students in, I give the spiel, you know, everyone has heard it multiple times. Just we do not, we do not deal with this or that or this or that. We uh, are, you know, creating a positive learning environment here. And I think that for me, like my goal through all this, I know that MV shares the goal. I know that Tom who runs T2T uh, shares the goal. I know Brother Greatness who also is a trainer over there. We all share the goal of, we want to leave wrestling better than how we found it. So how do we do that? We're not going to sit there and we're not going to go out and, and you know, stand in locker rooms and preach at people because nobody wants that. What we're going to do is we're going to create a school full of students who carries this credo and this attitude and they go out and they start working places and that kind of thing becomes contagious. And now maybe there's somebody else who kind of needs like, yeah, all right, cool. Let me pay this forward and bring this attitude out. And then who knows, maybe they kind of work in with somewhere else or they get a job somewhere else and that becomes an addictive personality over there. So you start to branch out. It starts to bleed into all these other facets. And now what do we have? That's how we're going to attempt to make wrestling better is just create that positivity and send it out there and let it bleed into everything else and make everyone smile. No, I mean, you're creating a new foundation in that way. You're completely uprooting a, a systemic problem and letting trying the root to, sow. Trying, <laughs> yes, trying to. It's always it's always a, a try there. But you know, the more yeah. that it keeps getting out there, the more that message starts spreading to more regions. You know, the the better it's going to be, and the easier it'll be. Um, we're starting to wind down here a, a little bit. I just wanted to ask you about your podcast. We're get very meta uh, on talking about <laughs> another, a podcast on a podcast in that way. But the year one podcast is it's a very interesting idea to focus so, like so much on a particular wrestler's first year in, in the business, because like it, it, it's like a time capsule in many ways, but those moments still like have resonance beyond just that, that one time period. And you see how these moments kind of form the wrestlers that, that you're talking to as they have like gone on into um whatever era that they are currently in now in their career what was the, the um was that part of the inspiration for the podcast or like what was it for you that that kind of gave you the idea to start it so i think it was my what got me wanting to put this idea together i definitely wanted to do a podcast that was different and it didn't ask the same questions because any wrestler will tell you they'll do 10 podcasts and 10 out of 10 times they're going to ask the same questions I wanted to kind of, all right, let's make this enjoyable. Let's make it different. And let me try and focus on something specific and do that. And that's kind of where that started out with. For me, uh, having such a weird, tumultuous first year in wrestling, just full of nonsense and drama and craziness, I was like, I can't be alone here because there were so many people that trained with me that are all in like prominent positions. So let's talk to these people. And I'm sure other people had some craziness too because you talk to people and like who they trained under and it's like, all right, that sounds ridiculous. Let's get your story. And that was, I think my idea behind all of this was let's focus on this weird time where you don't have confidence. You don't have resources. You don't really have anything outside of some dreams and, uh, you know, dumb luck maybe. 
So let's go with that. Let's see what we can put together. Uh, and you know, I just compiled a whole bunch of questions that like I knew that I could make people either laugh or be really interested in if I was to answer, you know, again, things like who is the weirdest person you met early on where it's like, what kind of crazy people exist in wrestling? All of us are, but like, who is the craziest? And everyone's got a unique answer. Uh, or just like, you know, when did you, how did you doubt yourself? What was your first time stepping into a ring? All these things have like, you know, while everyone can have a similar answer, they're all unique. Everybody yeah. has a different experience. And I think that was also it. And then also, of course, as we again, full circle about representation, I am very, very big on making sure that like everybody is represented, trying to get different regions, trying to get different uh, expressions, gender, sexualities, everybody on there, because something is going to connect with somebody. And that's how you build fandom. That's how you build, uh, you know, people who are willing to follow you for extended periods of time. Yeah. And like cultivating those different perspectives, you know, from, from different, you know, you know, racial identities, gender identities, all these sort of things, like pulling all these different things together, like really gives you a, a full like kaleidoscope of experiences to pull from. Um, and to like, kind of, like I said before, like kind of resonate with over time. Um, I, I really enjoy the podcast personally i i really enjoy it it's it's a fun listen and i highly suggest anybody listening to this show right now um go check it out for sure uh it's it's an outstanding show um i guess my my last question for you i'm gonna take one from your show Uh and and put it on you (laughs) and i think you just said it actually because it's what it's it's the one that elicits the most entertaining answers on your show to me who was the weirdest person that you met in your first year of pro wrestling? This is the most loaded question for me because <laughs> I legit, no, and I'll, I'll be honest when I say like, this is super hard for me to pick because there was a legit freak show at Gleason's gym when I first started. Mm. And everyone who went through there around that same time will tell you the exact same thing. I'll throw a few names out there and give a, a little bit uh, there was a guy named Curly Bill who all the vets like talked crazy about. Um, he was quite possibly the worst wrestler that he, he had he had two left feet and like if, if they were uh, if they were feet he had two hands in shoes like it was he couldn't move uh, but they loved him by the name of Curly Bill. Uh, there's Rockshock three three seven who uh, his gimmick was that he's been dead for fifty thousand years and he rules hell. But he was just a skinny dude in a scream mask. Um, there was the voice, who is known in other uh, circles by another name that I'm not going to say. Uh, <laughs> but the voice thought that he was the Undertaker slash Kane, uh, and was just a really weird, interesting character of a human being. I used to go out and hang out with him at bars. Um, and he's, he was a complete cartoon character of a human being. Um, it was that, the, then there was all the people there, like, you know, there was one guy there by the name of Smooth Operator uh, who was convinced he was Ric Flair. He showed up to student shows in a limo, wow. um, which no one was getting paid for those. I'm glad he had that kind of money. Smooth was a great guy. I learned a ton from him. But like, again, like putting that together all these years later, it's like, you showed up to a student show, coked out of your mind, in a limo. 
all right, man, whatever floats your boat. People like that. Those are the really, really interesting, wacky human beings that I would come across. And again, I could go on for day. I could li- I could list everyone there, but it, it's it's craziness. If you want to hear about these people, please listen to uh, some of the episodes of the Year One podcast, especially the ones where I talk to people who went to Gleason's, uh, such as the Revolting Blob slash L Shoes, Will Ferrara, uh, the the two part episode with Nick Stapp, uh, wild stuff. No, definitely for for sure, for sure. <laughs> well, Logan, I really appreciate you taking the time today to chat. Um, let everybody know where they can find you online. So you can find me on all social media at King of Chaos NYC. You can check the podcast out on all social media at Year One Pod. That's Year the Number One Pod. Uh, if you're looking to support your boy with your wallet, you can do so in one of two ways. You can go ahead to my pro wrestling tees store, prowrestlingtees.com forward slash king of chaos NYC. All the shirts I have up there are stuff that I'll never have at my merch table. I've got a really dope Coney Island shirt that I just came out with because I was born and raised near Coney Island. So means a lot. Go ahead and check that. It's a dope shirt out. Uh, if you would like to get the stuff that I do have at my merch table, you can go to my big cartel store. That is uh, king of chaos NYC.bigcartel.com. I've got a new piece of merch. It's secret. I, I'm not releasing any of it until May 1st. Mm. Uh, May 1st is when I'm going to put out there for pre-orders. Uh, from what from the merch manufacturer, the person who printed this stuff for me, they said they have never gotten a request for this merch item. So oh. new and interesting stuff for you King of Chaos fans. Very. And uh, very that's it. I just, uh, this, I, I honestly, like before I get out, I just want to thank you so much for having me on here. You for reaching out to me. Uh, like you did uh, when, when I first come out uh, again, like I, I can't stress enough the entire idea of like how it like really impacted me never feeling queer enough literally since I was a teenager and, and having all this and finally being able to speak open and out about myself and then having you where you have like this influence in this community uh, come to me and speak to me and, and be so chill about things. Uh, it meant a lot and to be on here seriously like I've been gleaming about this for a week straight because this really did mean a lot to me so i have to thank you so much for that like i said whenever you came out like i said welcome to the family because like that's what we are you know so like yes of course like but like me so many other people are going to be there for you and they're going to be there for the next person and the next person after that and we need to be exactly exactly well thank you logan thank you for having me My thanks once again to Logan for coming on the show. Uh, it was a blast to have him on and, and talk more in depth about, you know, a lot of the issues that really kept him from expressing uh, his identity as openly as he might want to. That story with him and Ariella at Butch versus Gore, like that, just it hits close to home. You know, like the, those feelings of you know, not being queer enough and you know being seen as a super strong ally because of those feeling keeping your own identity internalized um, in that way. I think it speaks to a lot of people that struggle with expressing their identities and, and realizing their identities and living openly and proudly in that way. And, you know, in, in that way, Logan is another person to look to um, when it comes to finding ways to overcome that sort of stigma, whether it be outwardly or, or inwardly uh, directed towards yourself. It's just great. Um, really, really enjoyed it. But yeah, 
that's going to do it for the show this week. Um, come back next week where we will be talking all about MV Young's Polyam Cult Party 3 with two members of the Glitterati over at Grit and Glitter. We're going to have M. Fear and Meg Fair coming on the show to chat all about what went down in that backyard of that Pittsburgh trap house <laughs> with the pansexual fence. I love wrestling because it gives me opportunities, opportunities to say sentences like that. It's just great. Um, but until then, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. And in honor of Logan Black this week, be awesome to one another. Everybody's ready to die. Bye! Everybody's ready to die. They didn't see it coming from the top of the bridge. You made a deal with the